Welcome back to America's leading higher education podcast, The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. Hosts Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liba, and producer Elvin Freites bring you the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. We explore innovations, ideas, and issues in higher education and beyond, and hopefully have a little fun along the way. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Ed Up Experience, where we make education your business, interviewing the brightest and most influential minds in higher education today. This is Dr. Joe Salustio, and always with me, the outstanding, you can't hold a candle to her, Elizabeth Liba. How are you, Liz? <laughs> I'm doing amazing. Thank you so much for asking. How are you? Uh, I'm doing great. Um, I'm really excited, as I know you are, um, mm -hmm. all the way from my bedroom and your laundry room on the line <laughs> with us today is the chief data strategist at U.S. News World and Report, overseeing the academic rankings, Bob Morris. Bob, how are you doing today? I'm great. Well, I'm welcome. Great. Welcome. Welcome, and thank you so much for coming on to the show. We're so excited to talk with you and the work that you do. Uh, but before we get into that, how are you doing? How's your health? How's your family? We're living in very unique times right now. Um, most importantly, how are you doing? How, how's the family? My family is very healthy, and you know, I'm healthy, and we've been working remotely, U.S. News as a company, He's been working remotely since, I guess, around March 11th or something. So we're doing everything. We're lucky that we can work remotely compared to people who can't. You know, I think a good place to start, Bob, would you, you know, let's just assume for a minute that we have a listener that has never discovered or heard of the college rankings. Can you just give us an overview of what you do and a little bit of how you do it? So what does your job look like, and what is the intent of the academic rankings? Well, I mean, the, the intent of the academic rankings is to provide um, consumers, meaning prospective students and their families and, and the general public, you know, comparative information on on colleges and universities because they're facing one of the more important um, decisions, you know, where to go to school and, and how to compare schools to, to each other. And, and so that, that's the purpose of the ranking is to use analytics and, and data to, to create metrics that, that compare schools to each other in a variety of different kinds of, of rankings. And we have you know, undergraduate rankings and undergraduate business rankings, so we have graduate school rankings and and global rankings and and high school rankings, and so we have many different kinds of rankings. But uh, but my job is to oversee sort of the at the highest level the analytics and the data collection. We we do the at least the best colleges ranking. We collect all our own data, and then we analyze the, the information from our surveys, which are we collect data from the institutions themselves, like like New York University or or Cornell or 
or Harvard or MIT or Berkeley or so in, so we survey the individual schools and collect data and then we also collect you know reputational data peer assessment data we send surveys to, to leaders of the schools and they rate the other schools and then as then our our with that data that we collect using online data system with password protected then we then we compile the data and, and, and sort of analyze it. And then we weight, and then we weight the factors that, that are part of the ranking. And then we come up with an overall of you know, the schools that score highest in, in the factors that we've chosen. They, they score highest in, in, in the ranking. And then, and then we publish the rankings and I mean, the main, the best colleges ranking, they're, they're published on online, usnews.com. The, the newest ranking was launched on September 14th, so just quite recently. We also yeah, it just came out. We just came out. So that's that's the short version. I mean, I spent a lot of time. What is my job? And you know, I spent a lot of time, you know, analyzing the data. Or we have we have receive a lot of questions from schools about what we're doing. What does this mean? What is the definition of this? Why do we rank the way we rank? How do, how do your rankings work? Um, so there, there's a lot of questions. We spend a lot of time QAing the, our results before we publish them. You know, does this make sense? Is there a mistake in something that a school supplied to us? Is it an outlier do contact the school. So we spend a lot of time queuing the information, queuing our results, doing doing sort of face validity tests. You know, rankings are um, the college rankings when they come out. You know, what we see as we're just going to call ourselves uh, at the Edup Experience surveyors of information. There are a number of posts, social media um, uh, communications, communications to students from many administrators, particularly those who have made the ranking or, or made it into the rankings, talking about the uh, prestige or the, um, the, the happiness that they have around being ranked. And, and then there's another contingent of folks, and I'm not going to, I don't know if it's necessarily people that weren't ranked, but a lot of um, people from other sectors of education, maybe different types of institutions that will come out and question the rankings and sometimes in, in, in a way that's actually questioning it. And then sometimes in a way that's devaluing the rankings, that they're not as inclusive as they need to be, that they're favoring elite institutions and so on. So you get this contingent of those that are behind it and contingent of those that are not. You must be aware of that, I'm sure. And how is that taken into consideration at, at U.S. News and from your desk? Um, you know, you can never please everybody, right? That's, that's uh, the way it goes. But you, you see some people sort of on the back of the rankings and some people who are not. What does that look like for you, and how do you take that into consideration for that year or for future years? Well, it's... it's... Well, we're we are definitely 100% aware of of at least what's being written publicly about the rankings and, and what's being you know there's ranking pundits or, or or the schools talk about the rankings or the or their presidents or provosts or 
So we're definitely aware of, of, of the discussions about the rankings, either pro rankings or, or against how we're doing the rankings. Um, it's it's an interesting landscape. You know, sometimes at at some schools you you can have there can be split views. Schools can use the rankings for for fundraising or part of their admission brochures, but then there can be administrators criticizing the rankings. So there can be at any given university or college there there may not be a unified voice. Um, you must be aware of that too. That, but you know, there U.S. News, U.S. News does um, aware of, of the broad themes. You know, the, that the the rankings are meaning the how we decided to do the rankings are are, are you know we've used our analytical judgment and we've chosen the indicators and metrics that that we think are best to use or, or or what's actually available to measure academic qualities so so that those are our judgments other people have have different views on on what should be measured it doesn't mean that it actually can be measured but they have different views on on what should be measured and they, i mean there's also other rankings that are out there um that that are done differently than than, than our ranking. Um, our ranking is certainly the, the the oldest ranking, you know, in in higher education. So it's we've been out there a long time, and and we've certainly evolved our methodology over time, as as different data has has come available that 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 measures um, different. Things you know, as an example, you know, which has actually made our, our ranking more more popular. I'm not sure that's the right word, but certainly more more accepted or less criticized now that we've added um, social mobility. Um, I guess this is the third year of social mobility, and this year we added graduate indebtedness um, in, in indicators that we didn't have, and and um, de-emphasizing the admissions data that I think that's made our, at least among many schools who, who actually, it's a part of their mission or part of definitely what they talk about on a regular basis, that that offering social mobility to, to students and accepting, you know, people with, you know, from families with, with Pell Grants or, or low low-income they come from a low-income background, and and they provide the means to actually get get a degree. So they're providing social mobility. That's one of their promises or missions as a school. You know, Bob. One of the the things I did notice um, uh, is that, uh, and this has been a trend in higher education for a little bit, is that ACT and SAT scores have been or been or become optional. And that did um, you did factor that in to your um, uh, overall data strategy, and it ranked 60 additional colleges. Is that is that correct? And, and did that just that one factor open up schools to being ranked? Well, I mean, the, I mean, you're actually talking about two different trends, or in some ways, three different trends. 
what uh, what what U.S. News did was we, which we hadn't done in I guess upwards of 12, 12 years, ten or eleven, twelve years, is rank schools that were test blind, meaning meaning that's that's the term that's used in higher education, meaning test right. scores S and SET aren't used at all in admission, and the schools use a holistic policy or where you graduate from a high school in the state and, and you're accepted if you have the right, um, you know, courses and your high school transcript. So, so those are, so we included those in the rankings for the first time in over a decade. So that that's a result of the 60 new schools. There, there definitely is the trend. Um, which had been going on before COVID, but it's maybe it's definitely accelerated for at least in the short term. Schools going test optional, but but that's going to be mainly for the fall of, of 2021 class and maybe there, thereafter because of disruption of testing. We I mean we're all, we can all see that ACT can't give tests or the test centers can't open. Or I'm sure it's happening to SAT. So. So schools are modifying. Some of them are modifying and going test optional because of the um, COVID. Some of them are going like the University of California or for philosophical reasons or believe that the test isn't the right thing to use in admissions and they're dropping them not because of COVID, because of deep-seated issues with the tests themselves. Even though they they say they're going to produce a better test that doesn't have the SAT and ACT problems, that'll be an interesting thing if they can succeed at that. Um, mm -hmm. That'll be interesting to watch. But but so so the test optional schools are still included in, in our rankings. Um, the you know the data that we used in the rankings that were published on September 14th wasn't you know, was for the for the fall of 2019 entering class, so it, it, it wasn't impacted by COVID, you know, the, the disruptions called by, caused by the pandemic at all. But, you know, yeah, but, but, but it's definitely, there's more schools changing their admission policies. Um, and, and I don't mean every single day, but, but there's been definitely a lot of changes for for the fall of, of 2021 admissions and then some of those are, are likely to be permanent some of them have said they hope to only have it for or for one or two years meaning being That's test off or or, or 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 test blind one or the other which you know the one of the most interesting pieces of that that uh, you know is you mentioned philosophical reasons the uh, there's uh tests have been um one of the areas that people have noted limit diversity and inclusion um they also uh, and this is the the behind the curtain stuff you know test limit enrollment and schools are are struggling with enrollment and many have dropped tests to increase the amount of students that will be interested in their school uh and, and that's partly due to the enrollment decline that's predicted over the next five years, and now that's been accelerated due to coronavirus. Also because of, of things you mentioned, being able to manage it uh, from a from a 
you know, practical standpoint of where you go to test or how you administer a test. So it's a really interesting component uh, of, of rankings and, and allows some to be ranked. And Liz, I, uh, you know, I'm sure you have questions here. I don't want to monopolize the, uh, Bob's entire time. So please feel free to interrupt me and take over at any time. Yeah, I, and I do have a lot of questions in terms of the accessibility piece and the idea that as a country, we are refocusing on the idea of the historically black colleges and universities and the role that they play, uh, the idea of social activism and the role that, that plays. Talk to us a little bit, Bob, about how you've managed to address some of these issues. I know that you have some different indicators that you've added that are being applied to the historically black colleges and universities that we know serve a lot of marginalized students that typically maybe not necessarily considering some of the more traditional colleges and universities. So how do students and parents navigate these additional waiting systems that you're creating to create more of an inclusive picture for them to be able to judge some of these other schools? In our rankings, I mean, we did, I mean, we've done a couple things that we did. We did add the concept of, 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 of social mobility. I mean, we're, if you're asking, is U.S. News measuring inclusiveness or sort of um, how, how, the, how the institutions are, are, are actually succeeding at, at diversity? I'm not sure you're asking that, but, uh, um, but, but U.S. News isn't. I'm not sure there actually is anybody, even, even the schools themselves, besides, besides stating that, that they're diverse or 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 are comparing schools' success at at, at achieving it in, in the way I think you're stating it because it's a very difficult thing to measure. Um, but but we but we have we have introduced our social mobility indicators, which I know some of these things are, are sophisticated, but at least they they will show which schools are are, are succeeding at, at enrolling a large there, you know, which schools are enrolled, enrolling a, a relatively large proportion of students w w with Pell grants, which, you know, or go to the broadly speaking, go to families with under fifty thousand dollars of income, and, and generally, with the vast proportion of it goes to families way beneath that. So they're going to the neediest children from the neediest families, and then, and you score highly in those. Um, indicators if if your school graduates you at a relatively high weight rate so just enrolling a large percent of Pell Grant students and and not graduating them you wouldn't score too highly in social mobility or like some of the Ivy Leagues or some of the more elite schools in our rankings the highest ranked they're, they're even though they do graduate the students who are on Pell Grants at, at a very high rate, they're, they're not enrolling a very high percentage of students with Pell Grants, so they don't score that highly on the social mobility factors, even though if you get in those schools, or the odds of you graduating are, are pretty high. Um, but, and we are taking into account graduate in, indebtedness, so that does 
at least factor in to to what degree you know schools are are giving if you score highly in that it shows that you're either your your school is relatively low priced and you don't need to take out a lot of loans to to afford it or if you're on on financial aid the school has been able to finance you know people's education in a way that, that they don't have to take out, out a lot of loans Hey everyone, this is Joe just reminding you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com where you can find and explore all of the content that we released under the EdUp Experience brand, including multiple podcast series, EdUp Elites, EdUp Embedded, and EdUp Experts. You can also suggest topics or guests for our podcast. Then head over to YouTube, check out our channel, The EdUp Experience, and you're going to find that my amazing co-host, Elizabeth Liba has started a new web series called EdUp Unplugged, where she talks about racism in America with special guests coming on that web series. We've got a lot going on at the EdUp Experience. Again, check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. Now let's get back to our guest. So we are taking that into account. Is that the best value schools methodology? Is that that indicator that shows overall who received well, more? Well, I mean, the best value, well, I mean, the best values methodology is specifically it, it's using the the price that that students who are getting need based grants. So it's it's. It's key to you know the. I'm not exactly sure of your question, but it's but but it's based on the proportion of students getting need-based grants and and the net price they pay after the average grant. So it's it's not it's not for all students. It's the the best values for, for students who are on on financial aid. Okay, yeah, because I'm just trying to think from a parent perspective, you know, because my daughter's 21, so just as far as, you know, if I just wanted to see, well, what school would be the best school for her to get the most bang for her buck? Like, if that was one of my main concerns, like, what would be the, the some of the indicators or some of the methodologies that I would zero in on? So it sounds like that's what you're saying as far as the best values that would, for students that are on well, financial I mean, aid. I mean, I mean, choosing a school is, is a very complex it's very complex, and, and and one thing that that we try to stress and is you know the, the the ranking should only be one should definitely not be the sole basis to to decide how to pick a school. You know there should be your like some opening information. You have to dig in, and you probably did this with your daughter. You know whatever whether you want a big school, a small school, how far away from home, what kind of uh, if you're qualified for financial aid, what, what kind of aid package is a school giving you? Or are they actually, are they need blind or are they gapping you? Meaning, you know, that you actually qualify for a, a certain amount of aid, but they're only going to meet half of it and then you have to take loans. So there's a lot of details that anybody choosing the school has to figure out i think it's i'm sure it's actually probably more, more complicated for, for the people who 
who aren't paying sticker price. So if you're paying sticker price, that means sold price. That means your parents can afford to pay the price. So you're not you're not worrying about the financial aid package or or the or or the other aspects of it that you have to figure out if you're dealing with that. So it's it's more complicated. Yeah. Bob, does right. the, let me let me just ask one question there. Does the because debt was a I don't remember what the percentage was of of the factors, but but debt was was one factor uh, weighted I think maybe seven percent. I don't know if that sounds right. Do you think that that having a, a weighted debt score favors um, institutions that are on the more expensive elite side, like a Harvard, Yale, so on? Where you're, the general student who attends probably has a family uh, who probably I'm saying probably has a family who's more well off than it does an institution where the majority of students are taking out financial aid because there's a greater need. You know, do you think it? I, I mean, I know rankings are so subjective, but do you, is the debt weight uh, really favor institutions that are are um, have incoming students that are more wealthy. Well, I mean, it, it, definitely, it definitely favors schools that, that, that have more financial resources. If you're not taking on any debt, then then you would be benefited by this because we're we're, we're rating the proportion of students with debt at two percent and the total debt three percent. So the so the the fact that students wouldn't have any debt would, would have a would have a small weight in the ranking but 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 they wouldn't impact the overall total i i mean i think it does benefit schools that have a lot of financial resources but but sure. you could argue with, you could argue it the other way if you're able to get into those schools and and you're and you can Go to a top school without being burdened by debt. You're you have a leg up after you graduate, and and sh and shouldn't that mean something? I have a question, another selfish question. So I'm gonna nudge Joe out of the way because I have another question for myself as a parent. My daughter's 21. Like I said, she is looks like she's gonna be taking a gap year because she does not like online classes unfortunately, to my, to my chagrin as an online instructor for the past 10 years. She doesn't like online. And I noticed that you guys have launched a new reputation survey for online programs. So can you tell us a little bit about what went into the decision making as far as rolling out that um, reputation survey and how can a parent use that as a part of their process to determine what's going to be the best um, option if I want my daughter maybe transfer to a different school or advise her. can't make her do anything now because she's 21 so she can do whatever she wants. But if I wanted to advise her about maybe some other options. The online degree rankings we're doing are, are, when, are when a program is more or less to, can be delivered 100% online with a few exceptions for um, orientation and test taking so, so there, there can be some very limited face-to-face -face options so the so so we're not actually rating 
when when it's a bricks and mortar school, and I don't know where your daughter went, but but let's just say, since we know we know Harvard is remote, we're not rating Harvard's if it's going to be remote for two semesters, but but then people are still but but it's still a bricks and mortar based classroom based program. We're not rating Harvard's, you know, COVID two semester version of online or we're rating the programs that are 100% online to start out with. Right, if but you guys are doing, it's a, it's a reputational survey, right? So is this, is uh, the question? No, oh, okay. no the, the online degree program rankings that we've been published, if you go to our, our website or, or, or do, do have reputation as part of them, but, but they have many other, other factors. Maybe the better question there, Liz, if you don't mind me jumping in, is how, are, Bob, are you thinking through rankings now that, that um, every school is online? You know, um, is this a, a flash in the pan in your opinion here? Because it seems that, you know, obviously the biggest change to higher education is that the majority of institutions across the United States, almost everyone, I think, has moved very quickly to online courses. In fact, I was talking to, a, um, I got a factoid from a very, very large institution in California, very well known um, private school with thousands of students that moved 480 something courses online in just a six week period, you know, and they're going to be planning on delivering online probably for the, for the next year. When historically that school has shown up in the rankings of U.S. News, uh, uh, has never offered online courses. And now you enter a different world where um, all of those metrics change. Maybe, certainly, and maybe not the financial one right away, but student success rates change, particularly if these institutions don't have um, structures for online learning. The, the, the structural pedagogies are different. The student services are different. Do you think this giant... Uh, industry move to online is going to affect the way U.S. News looks at ranking colleges in general. And the reason I ask that is because the college that is just phenomenal on ground may be horrible online for a while until they figure it out. And, and how will that play into the rankings? The online degree programs we rated are the ones that, that, are, that are actually online that they're, for the full program. They're not the bricks and mortar who who have gone 100% online or or have gone to a hybrid? Um, so the 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 answer is we haven't. Um, you know that that's definitely something that that we're thinking about. I mean, just just to state the obvious, if if the pandemic goes on, I'm not going to state a number of for, for how long, but you know if if everything becomes online, then that, that would be a different world. I, I know that the colleges themselves, you know, want to not have it this way. And I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm only making a point that the, that for the, the typical university, research university in, in the U.S., they're, they're built for face-to-face. -face. They have dorms, they have, activities they have sports they they have a whole infrastructure of of, of buildings that 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 are there for, for, for people to attend so the you know the, 
the, you know, the belief is that, that when it's, you know, safe again, whatever the definition of, of that becomes, then people will return to campus and and it'll, it'll be, you know, maybe not like it was in in, in January of 2019, but, but uh, it won't be, you know, online. You know, that, th- thanks. That's good context. I mean, I, you know, we, we talked to so many um, college presidents on this podcast and so many, I, I think realized we're not going to go back to whatever complete normal looked like. There may be a mix, you know, one, one of the folks we had on talked about, um, you know, really thinking that students are going to move very quickly um, between, you know, maybe I'll take this on ground class this this term and next term I'll go online and then maybe I'll take one ground and uh, on ground and one online next term. And there might be this movement within modality uh, or delivery method that'll be interesting. But my, my question here is uh, my last question before Liz takes us home and asks you the final two uh, really easy ones uh, is you know, the, the, there's a movement within higher education now that is really interesting and it focuses on, <clears throat> excuse me, students as consumers, um, uh, education as an investment, a return on investment, really using financial language, more financial language uh, to, you know, sit over the top of, of you know, education, you know, ROI. Uh, getting something for something, service, um, customer service, and so on. And so there's, um, and you see this with Google entering um, education with non-credit certificates, Amazon making uh, uh, investments in their organizational education, uh, um, questioning the value of a college degree, all of that kind of runs together. But ROI, um, a return on investment, is an increasingly um, important and focused on part of higher education, uh, especially as the debt load increases, that we have this debt problem in the United States, tuition is increasing faster than the rate of inflation, and, and you take all those factors and then it's, it's about what am I getting for my investment as a student, and now parents too, what am I getting? Is ROI ever discussed as a factor or embedded in any of these factors to be maybe the most important factor? Is it impossible to measure an ROI? You know, how do you, it must have come up, I'm sure, in conversation at some level somewhere to say, you know, that this might be something to look at or could be something to look at in the future. You know, how do you think about return on investment when it comes to college education? Well, I mean, it's obviously very important I mean, to say it's very important is an understatement. I mean, we did we did add this indebtedness, so that gives some indication of of with the schools that are or at least the, where the students are, are are leaving with relatively more or less debt, and in the proportion of more or less debt, we 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 haven't factored in. Um, Salaries. I mean, the the, the salary data, um, at least so far, is uh, I would say unreliable. The the college scorecard data um, has isn't we we don't believe has been a reliable source of data. It's unclear, at least in, in the current administration, which may only be in office for one more college scorecard issuance. But but they've been you know, changing the kinds of data on 
on on salaries. They used to have the overall um, graduate salary, and now they've changed it to only um, by major. So you so it's it's really difficult to do um, rate of return. I mean, it's it's definitely something that that's important. U.S. News isn't factoring it in in, in the way you're talking about it. I mean, our, our our rankings have been based on the sort of the the best in overall academic quality. We still feel that's the the most important thing to. And that's it's definitely a very important thing to look at. You know, the quality of the school, which schools are, are the best in, in active, overall academic quality. That, that, that's how we've done our ranking. I mean, I, I think there's other rankings who, who may be more focused on, on the rate of return, but they're, but they're doing theirs differently. Um, what do you see as the future of higher education? And is there anything else you want to tell us about the wonderful work that you guys are doing over there at U.S. News and World Report as far as your ranking system is concerned for education? Um, the, the, the future of U.S. higher education is definitely a giant topic, and it'll be hard to to discuss um, <laughs> in short abbreviated answer. But you know, I, I think it's going in, in in a lot of different directions, and you know, this is evidenced by by what's happened during the pandemic. The schools can the students can keep going to school, albeit it's a different um, experience. But they're getting they're, they'll be getting degrees, and and you know the schools have, have have adapted, and they've at least kept the trains running. It may be a different train, but they've kept the trains running. I I I think there'll be uh, I think there'll be it's not just like more of the same. But I think the the there'll there'll be a place for the elite universities, and and that's not going to go away. But but I think there'll be more of a place for the you know online degree programs, and and there's probably been a lot of learning as a result of a crash course in it about what works best and then what doesn't. And some people are going to be more turned off by it and, and want bricks and mortar. They're going to want to go back to the way it was and make may turn more more people off than than turn people on that, that's somewhat of an un, unknown i mean I, I think there's a yearning to you know go back to the way it was pre-pandemic i i doubt as you said that that it will go back exactly the same but i but i think there's definitely a, a yearning to um at, at u.s news i think u.s news has, has built a a very Large and, and widely used by by millions of, of people during any given year of people who come to our site and and look at the information. You know, we're definitely way more than than rankings. I think that's one of the messages I would like to get out there that that we have a great deal of of, of information on our site. You know, we, we've done research that that you know proves the point that. You know, people are looking, they're not just looking at the top 10 ranked national universities, you know, the Harvards and Yales and, 
in, in Chicago is there, uh, I think, I think 90% of the, of the traffic is not to those schools. So, so people are taking advantage of all the information we have and the different kinds of, of lists that we have. So I, I think, you know, US News has, has created a, a, a magnet for, for people to come and, and get in, information about higher ed. I think that's been one of our our, our successes. You know, we built something that the people, you know, you know, the people visit, you know, that's, it's, it's easy to start a ranking since there's so many rankings that, that, that have started. And so the, the, the measure of success is, can you build more than just a list? Can you have journalism around what you do? Can you provide context? Can you cover events? Can you, so it's, it's everything else that, you know, the whole package that that's how we've succeeded and provided useful information to prospective students and their parents. We never lost, never lost sight of, of that mission. That, that's who we serve. I mean, that's, that's different than, are we aware that people in higher ed are, are monitoring and watching what we do and, and are impacted by it? Yes, but, but that's not who we are. That's not who we believe our, our customers are. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So please, as always, feel free to share this podcast rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.